Let's do it again. My name is Gilbert Neal, and this is D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities on WHUP LP Hillsboro. The new high-powered compact from Hoover, it's a beautiful mover. The new compact does more than beats. It also cleans, it also sweeps, and brushes right to the edge. Right to the edge. Changing a bag as easy as ABC. The new high-powered compact from Hoover, it's a beautiful mover. It's just a small, inoffensive tube, not even as big as a tube of toothpaste or shaving cream. But as small as it is, this little tube is filled with big trouble. When used for their intended purpose, these so-called model cements are a great boon to the household and to model-building young people. But they're a dangerous commodity when used improperly. The big trouble that lives in a tube of glue is unleashed when its vapor is inhaled. Now, why in the world would anyone deliberately sniff glue? For its intoxicating effect. The solvents that make the glue quick drying and convenient also can cause a person who inhales them to become drunk. It's about the same effect as drinking alcohol, but much more dangerous. Other substances people sniff include gasoline, paint thinner, lacquer, and other similar volatile liquids. The effect and dangers of inhaling these is the same as glue sniffing. Why is glue sniffing so bad? Because of what it does to those who engage in it. At first, it doesn't seem so bad at all. It produces a giddy feeling, making a person feel silly and excited. It may produce a good all over feeling. But this feeling rapidly progresses to the dangerous level. It poisons, brings unconsciousness, and in some cases, death. When glue sniffing comes in, interest in other things goes out the window. People who sniff glue rapidly lose interest in other things. They drop out of athletics, usually fail in school, and become withdrawn from other people. Glue sniffing is habit forming, and a person soon becomes dependent upon it, even to the point of fighting with other glue sniffers over it. Their glue sniffing habit often links them with criminal activities. Worse yet, the glue sniffing habit can lead to more serious addictions with other products, such as narcotics. Glue sniffing is a dangerous practice. It causes impulsive and unpredictable behavior. The glue sniffer may develop feelings of reckless abandon and careless impulsiveness. His foolish behavior often endangers his own life and the lives of others as well. One teenager, after sniffing glue, stood on the railroad tracks ready to fight an oncoming train. He nearly lost his life. A 14-year-old attacked a woman, forced her out of her car, then smashed it into three other autos. Another teenager jumped off a low building because he was convinced he could fly. A 16-year-old glue sniffer picked a fight with four husky marines after a glue sniffing session. He couldn't believe he had failed to win the fight. A 19-year-old stabbed to death his best friend after they had spent an evening sniffing glue. The glue sniffing habit is spreading rapidly. At one time, it was confined mostly to the larger cities and metropolitan areas. Recent reports indicate the problem is spreading to smaller towns and cities, and your city probably has a glue-sniffing problem already among its youth. It has become the most serious problem faced by juvenile authorities in working with delinquents and youthful lawbreakers. One Utah junior high school found glue in 150 of the 1,000 lockers they checked. 
Some contained as many as 12 tubes of airplane glue. In one rural area in California, 14 youngsters were arrested in one day for glue sniffing. The District of Columbia recorded 300 cases in one two-month period. Los Angeles had 77 glue sniffing cases in a three-month period. And Phoenix, Arizona authorities handled 63 offenders in four months. The number is growing. The attraction to glue sniffing seems to prevail among boys and girls from 8 to 17 years of age. The average age of glue sniffers is 12. They are rarely younger than 8, but often older than 17. The glue sniffing habit is no respecter of economic status. People from the wealthiest to the poorest are affected by it. The effects of glue sniffing progress through several stages. First, there is mild intoxication, followed by excitement and a good all-over feeling. Often the youngster feels impulsive and aggressive. He's ready to fight. Then he becomes destructive and may try to harm people around him. After excitement comes drunkenness. The sniffer becomes uncoordinated and his speech is slurred. Then comes double vision, a ringing in the ears, and drowsiness. With continued sniffing, he progresses rapidly to stupor, unconsciousness, and coma. Glue sniffing can cause death. Many have already died from the toxic effects of glue sniffing. Other deaths have occurred which were not reported as related to glue sniffing. The brain is not the only organ affected by glue sniffing. The sniffer may develop blood in his urine, an indication of damage to his kidneys. He may develop damage that is serious enough to cause death. He can develop a plastic anemia, a condition in which the bone marrow is damaged so that it cannot manufacture blood cells. This too can cause death. Loss of memory is another result of glue sniffing. The sniffer cannot remember what he has done under its influence. Even after committing a terrible crime, the sniffer often asks in all innocence, what have I done wrong? Glue sniffers are a serious community problem for a number of reasons. First, they spread the glue sniffing habit by luring their friends into taking part. They create a crime problem. Often, they resort to stealing to meet their increasing desire for the glue. They are wide open targets for the peddlers of narcotics since they are likely to try for a greater thrill than glue sniffing offers. They may seek this in marijuana or the heavier narcotics. It is possible to do something to halt the rise in glue sniffing. It will require the work of both parents and children. Education of parents and children concerning the dangers to health and life in glue sniffing is the first step. Glue and plastic cements should be made less available in the stores. Take them out of the serve-yourself category. Less toxic solvents are needed. Research can help the manufacturers discover these. Unpleasant odors can be added to the glue to make sniffing less desirable. Youngsters who sniff glue do not start out as criminals. They are individuals in need of psychiatric help. They need treatment to discover the emotional disorders that cause them to resort to glue sniffing in the first place. Parents don't need to play detective to know if their children are engaged in glue sniffing. The signals are clear and alert, observant parents can read them. If one or more of these signs is observed, immediate steps to protect the youngster's life should be taken. If signs of glue sniffing are noticed by parents or teachers, the youngster should be referred to a doctor. The physician will decide if psychiatric help is needed. The child should be treated as an individual with emotional problems, not as a criminal. 
take another look at that innocent-looking tube of glue. Remember, glue causes illness and death to the sniffer and makes him potentially dangerous to those around him. There's big trouble in that tube, and the person who becomes a companion to the tube will receive his share of the pain and suffering it contains.
Better. 
at least you owe me Just one glance to show me That you really care Look at me Pride is taken from me Tears just don't become me But they're always there just one look, just one look will do That's all it took to make me fall in love with you So please turn around, I'll be looking for you Waiting to adore you, darling look at me Attention, all true believers. Marvel Comics is on the air. Out of the pages of the world's greatest comic magazine come the adventures of the Fantastic Four. This week's epic, the first tale in this new radio series, is from the original book of Marvel called The Fantastic Four Meet the Mole Man, the beginnings of which we shall witness in just half a moment. It's mid-afternoon in New York City. Through the din of midday traffic is heard a strange explosion. A symbol takes shape in the city's sky, and a legend is born. Hey, look up there. What does that mean? Could it be an invasion? And high above the excitement and hubbub, one man holds the still smoldering flare gun. One individual who is somehow more than just a man. He is the leader of the Fantastic Four. This is the first time that I've had to use the signal, and I pray it'll be the last. In another part of Manhattan, Susan Storm is having tea with a society friend when she hears... Sue, look out there. What? That symbol in the sky. What do you suppose it means? Oh, I'm sorry, Jackie. I have to go now. What? But we haven't even started our lunch. So it's happened at last. I must be true to my vow. There's no turning back. She's gone. But how? It's time for the world to meet the invisible girl. And at the same time, in a men's clothing store downtown. I'm sorry, sir, but we don't carry anything large enough to fit a man of your stature. Bah. Everywhere I go, it's the same story. I'm in a world too small. Say, look in the sky. That bright red symbol with the number four inside. Huh? What can it mean? Let me see that. Time has come. Out of my way. What? Why do they build doorways so narrow? Holy smokes, a monster. Officer, do something. Art, 
such a decision, let's observe another scene at Swanson's Garage. <laughs> we got her purring like a lamb, Johnny boy. Good, that's the way it should be. There's only one thing I like better than working on cars. What's that? Hey, look. What's that in the sky? That's my cue. Flame on. Hey, Johnny, what's happening to you? Remember me saying there's only one thing I like better than working on cars? Well, this is it. The figure which just seconds before had been Johnny Storm is now the human torch, flying through the skies like a flaming meteor. Red Dog Base to Squadron Leader, Scramble Alert. You are authorized to locate and bring down unidentifiable flaming object now flying over Manhattan. And within a few minutes, Johnny Storm is in a dogfight for his life. up much longer. My flame's gonna run out. Oh no, I'm falling. I'm not gonna make it. And then, just as the flying boy's flame begins to flicker out altogether, two impossibly long arms stretch out and... Gotcha. The now flameless human torch is plucked from the air by the strange man who fired the flare which caused all the commotion. <sighs> Thanks, Reed. Oh, you're safe now, lad. Who is this man? In fact, who are all four of these astonishing humans? How did they become what they are? What mystic quirk of fate brought them all together to form the Fantastic Four? Well, you all came when I summoned you. Good. There's a task that awaits us. An awesome task. There's time for us to learn of the task awaiting these four, but first, let us uncover the origins of this colorful quartet. That requires a bit of Marvel magic as we travel back to a time and place before there was a Fantastic Four. Back to the office of Dr. Reed Richards in the Federal Space Exploration Complex where Dr. Richards is briefing his team. So, as you can see, we have a clear time window at 9.40 tonight and then not again for three years. If we're to be the first in space, we must leave tonight. What? You're not going tonight with me as pilot. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. Out in space, they could kill us all. Ben, we've got to take that chance. Unless you want the Reds to beat us to it. I I never thought you were a coward. Coward? Get that ship. I'll fly her no matter what happens. And so, led by a determined Dr. Reed Richards, the group speeds to the spaceport. Susan... Ben and I know what we're doing, but you and, and Johnny, you two don't... Don't say it, Reed. I've been working on this for too long. Where you go, I go. And I'm tagged along with Sis, so it's settled. No time to wait for clearance. Conditions are right, right now. I think this is a stupid thing you're doing, but I ain't no coward. 
And before the guards can stop them, the mighty ship which Reed Richards has spent years constructing is streaking for the heavens, climbing into space. Hey, this hurts. Feels like I have a ton of concrete on my chest. Caused by our fantastic rate of acceleration, Johnny. Right, but the ship is acting like a perfect baby. Yeah, but we still don't know about those cosmic rays. Higher and higher, like a silver bullet, the sleek spacecraft soars. Hear that? The rays are penetrating the ship. I warned you. My head is it's pounding like it's going to burst. The rays have affected my hands. I, I can't steer. Ben was right. We should have waited. We should have had heavier shielding. But sis, I feel like I'm burning up. My body is so hot. Can't move. I'm trying to that moment, the powerful rocket's autopilot takes over and the sleek ship returns to Earth in a rugged but non-fatal landing. Leaving our quartet of cosmically charged champions deep in the jungles of South America. Oh. Reed, after all your work, we failed. I'm just grateful we're all alive. But we failed. Bah, what'd you expect? And we still don't know what effects the cosmic rays will have on us. Oh, Reed, I feel strange. Susan! Look at Susan! Sis, what's happening? You're... You're fading away. Oh, no! What's happening to me? Reed, Ben, Johnny! Somehow the cosmic rays have altered your DNA, making you... invisible. Sis, I can't see you at all anymore. I tried to tell you to wait. How long will it last, Reed? That's got to be the question of the century. How long will it last? There's no way of knowing. What if she never gets visible again? Easy, Johnny. Susan, concentrate. Think about your physical form. Try to imagine yourself visible. I'll try, darling. Look, it's working. I can feel it. Oh, Susan, it is working. Oh, it's still so strange. Oh. oh, you were lucky. We might never have seen you again. Richard, you were crazy for proceeding with this experiment. How do you know she won't turn invisible again? Oh, Ben, I'm all right now. Oh, sure, you're okay now, but what about a minute ago? And what's going to happen to the rest of us, wise guys? Ben, I'm sick and tired of your insults and complaining. I didn't purposely... And I'm sick and tired of you, period, bub. In fact, I'm going to paste you one right in that slug face of yours. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. Ben, wait, Ben. What's happening to him, sis? I don't know, Johnny. His skin is cracking. He's turning into orange rock. Wait, Ben. Don't try to talk yourself out of this one, Doc. I'm going to nail you. <laughs> All of you. It's those terrible cosmic rays. Look at me. They've gotten me, too. My body's beginning to play. And I'm lighter than air. I, I can fly. Oh, wow. I can really fly. Oh, Johnny. Johnny. It's okay, sis. I just feel a little warm, that's all. Minutes later, Johnny Storm's flame has subsided, and he returns to the others. Together, they watch a small brush fire which started burn itself out. And then, 
they stand silently, each absorbed in his own startling thoughts. We've changed, all of us. We're more than just human. Listen to me. You too, Ben. Together we have more power than any humans have ever had. Why, we... You don't have to make no speech, Big Shot. We understand. We gotta use our power to help mankind, right? Right, Ben. I'm gonna call myself the Human Torch. I'm with you all the way. Count me in, too. I'm the Invisible Girl. I guess I ain't Ben Grimm no more. I'll be what Susan called me. The Thing. And I'll call myself Mr. Fantastic. And so was born the Fantastic Four. From that moment on, the world could never be the same. And now, knowing some pertinent history, let's return to the relative present. This is the first time Dr. Reed Richards has brought the fabulous foursome together since that fateful flight, and the task awaiting them is truly awesome. I brought you here to see some photographs I just received from Washington. Pictures. What are they, pinups? Yeah. This one's an aerial shot of what used to be a nuclear power plant in the Soviet Union. What made that big hole in the Earth? The same thing that made this hole in a power plant in Southern California. And this one in Australia? It's happening all over the world. Wait, according to the steady pulses on this seismograph, another one is about to go. And halfway around the world in French Africa. What is that sound, Andre? It feels like the ground is shaking under my feet. And that sound, it sounds like noise. An earthquake in the sand. How is that possible? The earth is going mad. Look, the entire installation is fading in. But the worst is yet to come for these unfortunate French legionnaires. Not only did their nuclear generator sink into the undulating earth, but... What is the name of... Oh, it is some kind of giant blood beast! Artillery! Bring the artillery! But of what use is artillery against an enormous creature whose hide is tough enough to dig through countless tons of rock-hard earth? There is no artillery to stop a monster that can crush a modern tank with but one claw. But just as it seems, there is nothing can stop this merciless menace. And the Goliath stops in his tracks. For even a monster such as this heeds a master. A master known as the Mole Man. Back at the strategy meeting amongst the Fantastic Four... You see, it's happened again. But how? That's why I brought you together. Our mission is to find out. By studying the previous cave-ins, I've pinpointed a location that is exactly in the middle of all of them. This is where we've got to go to find the answer. What's the name of this place? Monster Island. Monster Island? That's just a fairy tale. There's no such real place called Monster Island. But hours later, in their private jet, the four see a strange mountain rising from the sea like an unearthly, grotesque face. There it is. Horrible looking. Wow! Monster Island! Little dreaming of the adventure that awaits them, the Fantastic Four land and begin the long climb to the top of the forbidding peak. Wait, I hear something. It's coming from below. Look down there. Six eyes, coming out of that hole. A living three-headed nightmare hurls forth from the bowels of Monster Island. Quick, turn invisible, Sue. Seeing one of his intended victims vanish before his eyes, the monster halts in bewilderment. 
Just enough time for me to make a hoop out of my resilient arm. And like a cowpoke roping a wild stallion, Mr. Fantastic lassoes one of the monstrosity's three heads and swings it far out to sea. I read about a giant three-headed creature that guards this place, but I never believed it. But before Mr. Fantastic and Johnny can catch their breaths... Look out! Cave in! The earth opens up and literally swallows Reed and Johnny. Hang on there, boy! Down, down, down they plummet, lost in the darkness until finally at the bottom of the pit. It's pitch black in here. What sort of place can this be? Say, Reed, over here. What is it? Feels like a door in the wall. It's moving. Light. I can't see. It's so powerful that I'm flagging out. It could be minutes or hours later when the two regain consciousness only to find themselves garbed in strange, heavy suits that protect them from the blinding, unearthly glow. Oh, my God. That light actually overpowered us. How did we get into these clothes? It is about time you came around. Who are you? I, I can't see. Where are we? One thing at a time. The reason for your blindness is the glare from this valley of diamonds. Brighter than the sun. And as for me, I am the Mole Man. While Reed and Johnny are dazzled by the Valley of Diamonds, more action awaits Ben and Sue on the surface. I've got to find Reed and Johnny. Wait, what's that sound? Other ears and eyes sense the approaching menace. Look up behind you, Sue! Oh, oh, the second gigantic guardian of Monster Isle is powerful beyond belief. But he is fighting a foe whose very body has been supercharged with cosmic energy. A foe that cannot be stopped. He's done it, Ben. You'll see him. What'd you expect? I am the thing, ain't I? Oh, you saved my life. Never mind that. Let's go find your brother and that skinny boyfriend of yours. Oh, Ben, if you could only stop hating Reed for what happened to you. And what of Reed Richards and Johnny? Using that Marvel magic again, let's descend to the depths of Monster Isle, where we find them confronted by the strange Mole Man. So you have never heard of me before. Well, soon the world will know my name, for soon the Mole Man will control the power of the Earth. How did you get here? It all started long ago. The people of the surface world mocked me. Me? Go out with you? <laughs> Don't make me laugh. I know you're qualified, but I can't hurry. Uh, you did scare away all my business. Really? Is that a mask you're wearing? Finally. I could endure it no longer. I resolved to find a place of my own. The legendary world at the center of the earth. The world where I could be king. And then, when I had almost abandoned hope, this cavern, this cavern, this cavern, this cavern, soon I saw where it led to the land of my dreams. I found, I found, I found, I The sudden shock of my outcry in that new silent cavern caused a violent avalanche. When it was over, I had somehow survived, but I fell into the Valley of Diamonds and was permanently blind. 
That was the last of my misfortunes. My luck has changed as I mastered the creatures down here. Make them do my bidding. With their talents, I carved an empire out of the Earth's core. <laughs> I conquer everything around me. I developed the ability to deal with the dark and the blindness. Yes, take this paw. Try to hit me with it. What do you mean? Go ahead. Take a swing at me. <laughs> Again. See? I have radar like a bat. I am able to evade whatever danger approaches me and return the attack in time. Reed, you okay? He's not hurt. But see how easily I defeat anyone who dares defy me. But now, at my signal, those creatures from the bowels of the earth shall destroy you, my witless intruders. We'll see about that thing, sis. Johnny. It is too late. The die is cast. Look out, Ben. Behind you. Hearing the Mole Man's signal, his largest and most deadly underground creature thunderously lifts itself into the room, its brainless rage directed at the ill-fated four. Flame on. Help is on the way. Things are going to get kind of warm around here. Back and forth like a flaming hornet, the human torch buzzes the gigantic creature who tries to grasp the frantically flying youth. The mole man is getting away. Not if I can help it. And I can. You haven't won yet. You can beat my entire menagerie of monsters. And then they come. Like pieces from an insane nightmare. Roaring, running, snarling. The mole man's entire army of underground gargoyles. The unbelievable power of the torch flying between his fantastic allies and the pursuing hordes blazes a swath of melting earth. This will cause the landslide, stealing those creatures from us. You did it! And we're free, too! We better get out of here. This whole place is going to erupt. And moments later... What happened to the mole man? I left him there. He'll never bother anyone. Look, he's destroyed the entire island. It's the best way. There was no place for him in our world. I just hope we've seen the last of him. Whether we've seen the last of the Mole Man or not, one thing is certain. We'll see much more of the world's most incredible quartet in the weeks to come as we pursue the further adventures of the Fantastic Four. Be listening again on Monday when the Fantastic Four face the marvelous menace of the Miracle Man.
I don't care. 
intercept, Mr. President. It's a huge success. Uh, then you've stopped the uh, flow of Mary Giwana. <laughs> Completely. Tourist traffic hasn't moved in days. The President of Mexico is threatening to break off diplomatic relations. Not only that, we seized three joints. Uh, <laughs> joints. Now, now let, 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 me, let me understand that. Now, now what are joints? Uh, you, you've got to be kidding, sir. <laughs> Jones, I never kid. Uh, I have a wonderful sense of humor, and I tell hilarious jokes, but I never kid. Now, what is a joint? Uh, a joint, sir, is a marijuana cigarette. I always thought they were called roofers. Uh, well, sir, here are the three uh, roofers we confiscated. <laughs> they retail for about 50 cents a piece. Now, Jones, let me say this. If I gave you 50 cents... 
Uh, sir, I, I brought these uh, roofers with me because the department thought it would be a good idea if you tried one before you drafted your drug bill. We felt that you might have more insight into the problem if you turned on. Uh, I turned on whom? Uh, well, turning on means to get high. I am hep. Now, let's have one of those joints, baby. Here. Hmm. Oh. That's good. Uh, sir, you're not supposed to eat it. You smoke it. I've already swallowed it. Uh, uh, give me another one. All right. Here. Now, now, sir, when I light it, you're supposed to inhale like this. And you hold the smoke in your lungs as long as possible. Now let's go, Jones. I'm, I'm getting up close. You mean up tight? Whatever. Oh. Come on. Light my fire. There we go. I swallowed that one, too. Here's, a, here's another one, sir. It's already lit. Uh, uh, how do you feel, sir? Uh, I feel wonderful. Uh, uh, this is heavy grass. <laughs> it must be Acapulco gold. Jones, I believe I'm beginning to uh, hallucinate. But, sir, you're not supposed to hallucinate on pot. Don't tell me. I hallucinate on Dr. Pepper. Well, tell me, sir, uh, what, what, what do you see? Well, it's beautiful, Jones. I see spacious skies and fruited plains. And amber waves of grain. Wait a minute. Now I see colors. Colors! Red, white, and blue, sir? No, no. I, I see brown. Terrible, depressing brown. I see Pat Brown. And he's winning. He's going to be the governor of California. Are you all right, sir? Jones, I think I'm having a bum voyage. Look, just relax, sir. I'm here with you. Everything's changed. Now, now I'm, I'm, I'm in a big house, uh, in, in a big, big office. That's right, sir. You, you're right here, where you've always wanted to be, and you're in charge. You mean? Yes. No. Yes. Then I made it. I actually made it at last. I'm governor of California. <laughs> She's got 
do it again. My name is Gilbert Neal, and this is D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities on WHUP LP Hillsboro. My friends, I'm here tonight to show you the way. I'm here tonight to share a great truth with you. I'm here tonight to dehypnotize you, to free you from a deadly collective obsession. I'm a voice for those who dare not speak. I'm a cry for hearts that suffer in silence. And I'm here tonight to tell you what needs to be told. I feel an itch for public service, and I've got to scratch it. In this best of all possible worlds, everything is in a hell of a mess. Everyone knows it. Everyone has a different explanation for it. But all these explanations are bunk. Not money, or the lack of it. Not the atom bomb, or the hydrogen bomb, or the cobalt bomb are responsible for our plight. Not capitalism or socialism, not militarism or pacifism, not cannibalism or ventriloquism. None of these are to blame. None of these are at fault. They are mere symptoms, they are mere manifestations of an evil that is deeper rooted. The true cause of our problems and pains, the basic cause of our headaches and heartaches, and torments and turmoils and calamities and crimes. The real cause has been hidden from us, hidden by the very men who are supposed to enlighten and protect us, the medical profession. I accuse medical science. I say medical science is a fraud, an organized system of ignorance. I say medical science is a conspiracy a premeditated idiocy. Its practitioners have betrayed us. Every day they give us a new theory. Today contradicts yesterday, tomorrow will wipe out today. A torrent of trash in Niagara of nonsense. After 10,000 years, we are still living in an age of pills and legalized butchery of blood analysis, urine and psychoanalysis, of toenail and dandruff analysis. An army of know-nothing, hair-splitting, fee-splitting specialists is at war with an army of ailments. And the ailments bloom, and the specialists prosper, and the patients die, unless kept alive at the point of a gun. You are being murdered, my friends, day after day as long as you live. Never ask for whom the grave is dug. It's dug for you. You are in walking distance of your grave. But you can't see it. Tears shed by your left eye are blinding your right eye. Tears shed by your right eye are blinding your left eye. Wake up! We are not suffering from a million or more diseases but from one disease and one only, the hidden disease, the original, the fundamental disease, and it cannot be cured by chemistry or surgery, by skullduggery or blackstrap molasses. Let the doctors examine themselves. Let them have a good look at their own distorted, two-legged, upright position. They stand erect on their hind legs. 
but can they think straight? Their spines are caving in, their livers have putrefied, their discs have slipped, their sciatica is dislocated, their noses have bulbified. What do these learned garbage cans, these boil catchers and abominationists, these troubadours of diarrhea and constipation, what do these sinister fools, these hand-picked morons, what do they know about quadrupedism, about four-leggedism? Less than a jellyfish knows about Beethoven's ninth. Back, my friends, back, I say, Back to the position nature gave us in the beginning. Down, down, I say, down on all fours. In these days of darkness and doubt, of crisis and confusion, what the world needs is a truly great soul. I am that soul. I'm a thinker of thoughts. I see the relationship between things that are utterly unrelated. I'm a cosmodynamic personality walking in beauty and eternal youth on all fours. On the record covers, I look like a pile of mud, but that's only because photography is still in its infancy. I am what you might call a controversial figure. People either hate me or despise me. They would rather shake the devil by the tail than shake me by the hand. But with every failure, my reputation grows. I speak to the misguided, to the befuddled and bepiffled ones, to those upright pillars of pain who are born in misery and die in sorrow to those pathetic yokels who stalk about on their hind legs and call themselves masters of the earth. I speak to you. Wake up! It's hard to break with tradition and give up your prejudice. I know that. But what has walking on two legs done for you? It has changed you into flotsam and jetsam. It has thrown you into an orgy of self-destruction. It has made chaos the law of your life, and loneliness, and despair, and the imbibery of schnapps, the pattern of your existence, a shadow existence, a, a death in life, from womb to tomb, anguish, from cradle to crypt, Tears, your body, your mind, your soul, cry out for help. You swallow another pill and say, shut up, body, shut up, mind, shut up, soul. But they won't shut up. Fungus, 
decomposed protein, scrofula, disgruntled liver bile, wriggle their way into your blood, cripple your anatomy, mutilate your metabolism, causing spaghetti deficiency and crumbling of the T-bone, leading to overweight and adultery, opening the door to lockjaw, housemaid's knee, and compulsive, uncalled for laughter. You want health. Do you have it? You long for love. Do you have it? You yearn for peace. Do you have it? Your way of life has failed you time and again. Might it not be wise to try another way? My way, nature's way. Back, my friends. Back, I say. Back to the position nature gave us in the beginning. Down, down, I say. Down on all fours. And look your neighbor straight in the eye. Or are you more interested in booze and loaded dice? In two-legged beastliness and promiscuity? Your forefather wasn't. Early man wasn't. Early man stayed right in his cave, rubbing elbows with early woman. And the average early man, the early man in the street, walked on all fours and was proud of it. Won't you try it? The sublime bliss of quadrupedism, the unspeakable joy of four-leggedism. I need fellow crusaders. I need you, my friends, with your splendid intellects. The world needs you. Your loved ones need you. Won't you help me? Help you help them? I can't do it alone, friends. I'm not the reincarnated Joan of Arc or something. I'm just plain folks. Oh, my brothers, my sisters, my countrymen, my countrywomen, are you going to put it off till it's too late? Till the Russians come up with it? By your apathy, by your complacency, by your two-legged indifference, you have made this beautiful wide, wide world an insult to creation. You have made it the dung heap of the universe. Uh, let me read you an article from the Woman's Daily Digest. It is entitled, What Has This World Come To? Let me read it to you verbatim, my friends, just as I found it bound and filed in the pornographic division of the New York Pornographic Library. Here it is, and I quote, A young man of good character and solid background visits a local dive the Dirty Shame Café. There he finds liquor and lipstick and laughter and song, also cigarette spittle and two-legged entertainment. After a while, 15 beers under his belt, his money spent, his morals impaired, he's kicked out of the joint. Bleary-eyed, belching, spewing, cussing right and left, he gropes his way home. All right, ma, he says. Dish out the dough and make it snappy. I've got to get back to the dancing school. Come on, old rattlesnake, get going! And he kicked her below the belt. His mother, a widow, poor but respectable, a lady every inch, declines. The young man gives a short laugh, 
Then he grabs a gun and runs out again, determined to re-enter his hell-soaked paradise, money or no money. His mother hobbles after him, puts her hand on his arm in restraint. He brushes her off. The friendly old mailman passes by. He stops and quotes from the Bible. But the young man, frenzied by lager beer, puts a bullet through his noodle. A couple of kids stand around, watching the scene with interest. He slays them just like that. Then he bumps off the washroom attendant. Also a television repairman, a Freemason, and the dentist next door. Heads, arms, legs, kneecaps, eyeballs, armpits, eardrums, hemorrhoids, asteroids are rolling in all directions. His mother swoons. Too late. Three hours later, she's dead of leprosy. What a day. End of article. Now, don't get me wrong, friends. Walking on all fours is not going to transform you into another person. It will in no way change your identity but it will help you achieve the success you so richly deserve. It will propel you to heights undreamed of. It will make you a race of rulers. It will make you a breed of kings. It will fulfill your fondest expectations. Now, what exactly does fulfill mean? It means to fill full. That's what it means in a nutshell. Up to now, your life has been a long, dim twilight trance, interrupted by occasional fits of panic and confused activity. The vital spark, the zest of life, is missing. Let me be your dexedrine. Let me direct you and quicken you. Let me instruct and exhort you. Let me pump purpose into your bloodless veins. Hope into your hopeless hearts. Let me be your sword. Let me be your flame. Let me be your valentine. At this point, I should like to debunk one of your pet superstitions. We do not hear with our ears. I repeat that. We do not hear with our ears. Our ears are mere window dressing, as useful as a glass eye at a keyhole. Man hears with his left hind leg. That upsets all your grammar school notions, doesn't it? I don't want you to accept it on my mere say-so, but consider this. Can a fish hear? Of course he can. Not with his ears. Fish have no ears. They hear with their tails. Dr. Helmut von Quatschkopf, noted German explorer, philosopher, metaphysician and podiatrist, conducted an interesting experiment along these lines. Von Quatschkopf 
put some ordinary run-of-the-mill goldfish into an ordinary run-of-the-mill goldfish bowl filled with ordinary run-of-the-mill tap water. And then he proceeded to shout threats and insults at the fish. Verfluchte Fischsau! Euch hat man wohl in die Muffe gepufft! Affenfisch! Schweinefisch! Hurenfisch! Ich lasse mich nicht vor euch verpumpfeizen in den Mülleimer mit euch, dass es nur so kracht! Unwiderruflich! Erbarmungslos! You should have seen the fish after a couple of weeks. They were bitter fish, peaked, peeved, miffed, huffed fish, discontented and disgruntled fish. They would sulk easily, they would bathe in tears three times a day and seven times on Saturdays. They would pollute beaches, they would laugh like crocodiles. <laughs> fish do here with their tails. After all, fish are just like other people, except that they are fish. Back, my friends, back, I say, back to the position nature gave us in the beginning. Down, down, I say, down on all fours, without any further ado. Adulously, Dearly beloved, believe me, walking on all fours is no pipe dream, no utopia, no metaphysical goulash, no pie in the sky. I didn't dream it up or stir it up with a stick or something. Walking on all fours is a fact, a glorious fact, a reality more real than a reality. It is living as nature meant you to live, with your vertebrae held horizontal from east to west, with your posterior pointing to the North Pole, the mariner's guide, with your belly button as a center of gravity, transmitting poise and popularity to all the parts of your body. Walking on all fours is a real McCoy. It is worth its weight in gold. It is too indescribably delicious. Hallelujah. But you can't be wishy-washy about it or namby-pamby. Compromising won't do. You can't just say, let George do it or let Brother Theodore do it. Let him walk on all fours. I've got arthritis. Oh, no. And walking on three legs won't do either. It's whole hog or nothing. You can't learn how to swim unless you get into the water and drown. Merely listening to Brother Theodore doesn't make you a quadrupedist any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. Brother Theodore doesn't grow on every bush. You can't pick the cherries out of his pie and reject the thorns of his roses. Don't you want to score a victory over your lower nature? Don't you want to get the four-legged know-how? Let me tell you, friends, we still are friends, are we not? Or at least very good acquaintances. Well, let me tell you very good acquaintances, 
Quadrupedism produces electromagnetic charges in your body. It unblocks the kidney stew and stimulates the carbon dioxide in your lungs, which turn to brewer's yeast. You have attained the logamundidi, the logadedili of the gugu. You sit back and enjoy that glorious, that peppy, that luxurious feeling that goes with regularity. Fair enough? Accept me. Follow me. I am not of my rocker, and I am no quack, no cultist, no charlatan. My intentions are honorable. I want to save you, all of you, from the most vomitory fate that has ever threatened humankind. Extinction! Can't you see where we are headed? This is the end of the line. The insects are about to wipe us off the map. They are ready to take over. We stand at the dawn of the insect age. What do you think of that? Just imagine that sexy fly running things. Or the praying mantis. Is that what you are after? Is that what you are sending your kids to college for? Or do you think you are immune to extinction? Because you are so clever, so cute, so essential to the music of the spheres. Well, once upon a time, another crowd felt that way too. About a hundred million years ago, the dinosaurs had everything their own way. They thought they knew all the answers. They thought they could hear the grass growing. Maybe they could. But according to Pfitzner and Bokanowski, their social life was a disgrace. They changed their sex every other month and used profane language. And at the age of three, at the very tender age of three, they would go steady in no uncertain manner and bring forth eggs as large as footballs without benefit of clergy or city hall. Extinction! That's what they asked for. That's what they got. They were among the first to get up and waddle about on their hind legs which made them so smug, so sissified, so self-absorbed, they wouldn't even neck anymore. It was too much bother. Not that I care. I can't figure out what they saw in each other in the first place. I don't go for dinosaurs. Maybe I've met the right one yet. And anyway, where are they now, those parasites? And where is Sodom? Where Gomorrah? We're Patterson, New Jersey! Ah, my very good acquaintances, Mother Nature can get terribly nasty when she puts her mind to it. My, oh my. Wake up! Join Brother Theodore's happiness campaign. Smash the drugstores, hang the pill pushers, slaughter the surgeons, exterminate the cuckoo analysts. Only when the last Freudian has been strangled with the entrails of the last Jungian, only when the last endocrinologist has been drowned in the blood of the last gastroenterologist, only then will there be a new life for us, an earth redeemed. And on it we shall dance, truly dance, as we have never danced before, to the heartbeat of our great mother earth, caressing her on all fours. 
Beast men, beast women. And your tortured bodies, your anguished souls, will be at peace at last. Down into action! Forward! March! Our goal, Washington! Our end, compulsory quadrupedism. Our battle cry, sanity marches on. Back, back, my friends. Back to the position nature gave us in the beginning. Down, down, I say. Down, down, down on all fours. And if you happen to grow a tail, wag it. I'm coming home, I done my time. Now I got to know what is and isn't mine. If you received my letter telling you I'd soon be free, then you'll know just what to do if you still want me. If you still want me, tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. It's been three long years. Do you still want me? If I don't see a ribbon round the old oak tree, yeah, I'll stay on the bus. Forget about us. Put the blame on me if I don't see a yellow ribbon round that old oak tree. Bus driver, please look for me. Cause I couldn't bear to see what I might see. I'm really still in prison, and my love, she holds the key. A simple yellow ribbon's what I need to set me free. I wrote and told her, please tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. It's been three long years. Do you still want me? And if I don't see a ribbon round the old oak tree, hey, I'll stay on the bus. Forget about us. Put the blame on me if I don't see a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. Look at here, the whole damn bus is cheering, and I can't believe I see a hundred yellow ribbons. A hundred yellow ribbons. A hundred yellow ribbons round the old old tree.
I thought could capture all the days The pain of loving someone Who could never understand my ways It's no one's fault that finds us standing In two separate ends of time We've grown for different reasons And I never meant to be unkind I'll sing my yesterdays to you These memories will stay with you All your tears will fall me high
nothing left to fear No secrets anymore
me if I'm really as country as I claim to be. Well, now, I growed up country. I growed up on a farm, and anybody that growed up country, they're at least 40 years ahead of their time. <laughs> Woo! Because all of the high society city people that I have met in the last two years, just about all of them are trying to buy them a little patch of ground out in the country and put them a shack on it and run out there every weekend and live like I was forced to live during the Depression. That's the truth. And they talk about the new fad. New fad. Us country folks was doing these new fads 40 years ago. Well, I was doing a show at Chattanooga, Tennessee the other day and swooped down in one of them big jets and a lady run up there with a microphone, old Mr. Clawa. Uh, I'm interviewing you for the noon show. Uh, inasmuch as you are a Christian entertainer, what do you think about the new fad streaking? I said, new fad? Woman, what's wrong with you? Us country folks been doing that all our life. She said, oh, well, what did you call it? I said, running naked. <laughs> I'm tired. Not too tired for tonight, I'll bet. No way. Sounds like I should meet this woman. After me. How long have you known her? Last Tuesday. And you're thinking about sex? Hey, hey, who are you, my minister? Does she have an STD? A what? A sexually transmitted disease. Uh, I have no idea. Sexually transmitted diseases. Something to avoid, because STDs don't make decisions. People do. A message from the Seventh-day Adventist Church.